Good morning. I'm Rob Hampy, one of the elders here at South Potomac. And speaking for the elders and Pastor Dave, we, we really are pleased to see you here this morning. We rejoice every Sunday to get our brothers and sisters together to praise and worship the Lord, to uh, encourage one another and uh, fellowship in between the services. Uh, if uh, you are not in the habit of doing this, we would hope that you would go to the lobby afterwards, have some coffee, just come up to somebody you don't know and introduce yourself and uh, get to know your South Potomac Church family better. We consider you our family, our extended family, and we look forward every Sunday to see you and chat and catch up on what's going on in your life. So thank you for being here today. Uh, also, I should mention if uh, you are a, a new visitor to South Potomac, uh, out in the kiosk in the lobby, we have something for you, a visitor kit, includes a coffee cup, but besides that is some information which we think uh, would be good for you to know about South Potomac. If you were expecting to hear from Pastor Dave Huffman this morning presenting the message, I uh, hope you're not too disappointed. Uh, Dave's birthday was yesterday, and so he's taking some well-deserved time off. And uh, I'm sure you want to know this, so I'm going to tell you, he will be back next week. Um, it is customary when Dave does take time off that he uh, asks one of the elders to present the message for him. And joyously, it's my turn. Uh, today we will continue the series on the book of James, which uh, Pastor Dave started some weeks ago. Uh, when he introduced the series, Dave talked about the book as being a, a general epistle or apostolic letter. In other words, it, it was uh, uh, meant to be read by lots of people. Um, he wrote the book to Jewish believers who were scattered all over the place at that point to encourage them to endure and to live bold Christian lives. That message in the book still comes through for us today, I think. James is a half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book around uh, 47, 48, 49, like that, A.D. It uh, most probably, from all biblical scholars' accounts, was the first scripture written in the New Testament. The key personalities in the book are James, and the persecuted Christians were ever they were, unlike some of the epistles in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, like the book of Romans, which Paul wrote, uh, where he, Paul describes what the Christian faith is. James describes what the Christian faith does. So we distinguish it between the two. In many ways, similar to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, uh, it contains 54 imperatives on what is appropriate Christian behavior. So it's kind of a how-to book, if you will, for being a Christian. James is a book about practical Christian living, which reflects a genuine faith that transforms lives. Hence the title for the whole series, which is Faith That Works. But before I begin, uh, let us go to the Lord in prayer, please. Oh Lord, we, we rejoice to come to your house to worship and praise you. We come as your children, expectantly uh, wanting to hear your gospel, 
have your scriptures read to be to have our minds renewed and our hearts filled with the joy of knowing that you are our Lord. We ask you to be here in this place today and to guide the mouth of the messenger this morning that he may only speak what is glorifying to you. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's teaching is entitled, Taming the Tongue. Using James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 as the text. We know that the Bible is God's word. It is filled with wisdom and truth for godly lives. And uh, 2 Timothy uh, verse 3, uh, verse 16 and 17, says that as best as I know how. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And the book of James is one of those equipping books that shows you how to be a Christian. If ever there was a universal teaching that applies to all of us equally today, this is it. Taming the tongue. And also for me personally, is one of the more convicting books and chapters of the Bible. Uh, we'll see what you think as we go through the text. The tongue is a small organ that is a crucial part of our ability to speak and to communicate. We all have one, whether we want one or not. Used along with the voice box, the mouth, and the lips, we are able to form words. As we shall see in this chapter, although small, the tongue is tremendously powerful and unfortunately even dangerous. To be faithful to the text, I must mention what James tells us about the role and responsibility of Christian teachers, which he opens up the chapter with in verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. This, is, this verse is very intimidating to somebody like me, uh, an elder whose part of his duties is to be a teacher. Therefore, it says that the words I use in my teaching will be judged more strictly than others who engage in just everyday conversation. Why is that? Well, back in the early uh, first century church, uh, many of the Jews who were newly converted Christians wanted to become a rabbi, which is translated as master or teacher. Uh, there was much prestige and social importance to that title, and so, so it is today. Everyone wanted to be called a teacher, even if uh, they did not always have the knowledge and the wisdom of the scriptures in order to uh, teach the Bible correctly. So James wanted to discourage the notion that it is easy to be a teacher and to relate the consequences of wrongful teaching. Wrongful teaching. Which is that when you will be held by God to a higher standard. Why the higher standard? Because as a teacher, one should know the truth and should obey accordingly. Teaching the, te the strict scriptures, pardon me, teaching the scriptures must be done, but those who teach must understand their responsibilities and their 
accountability. Since elders are more accountable for what they say and teach, we take our teaching responsibility very seriously. But then again, everyone ought to. As a Christian, uh, if you should be moved to lead a Bible study or teach a Sunday school class or even witness to somebody about your faith and many other such situations, you should assure yourself that you are speaking the truth about the scriptures and the gospel because the same accountability applies. Now, I'm not trying to intimidate you. I'm trying to encourage you to be sure of yourself when you do. It takes some doing, but it's worth doing. Here's the, and the next slide is Apostle Peter's view of this, uh, the, the idea of false teachers, people who do not speak the gospel and about the scripture in a correct or true way. And it's, it's very damning, actually. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Because people won't be able to understand what is really true if they hear different versions which are markedly different. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. This kind of false teaching is still going on today. I'm sure you recognize when you hear a lot of it on television and radio where people will claim, well, yesterday when I was in heaven, I talked to Jesus and he told me, or God doesn't want any poor children, so he, all, he wants us all to be rich, so you should spend your life focusing on becoming wealthy. How many verses in the Bible tell you exactly the opposite? The uh, story about the rich young ruler and what Jesus said to that person about go give away all your goods and come back and follow me which is what Jesus wants. But he, he, he went away perplexed because he, he loved his wealth more than he loved God. And that's the point here. Hence, uh, this, this verse is a warning to those who would want to teach, but it is also should alert modern listeners as well, you and I, to be discerning about what we, what we hear from such people particularly if what those teachers are saying depart from what we know is scriptural truth. So I think it's good to pay attention to that warning. The only source of absolute truth is the Bible, and therefore it is the best source to confirm the truth about what someone is teaching. And uh, one of my role models is the Bereans of ancient times. In Acts 17, verse 11 um, it says, Now the Berean Jews were a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. And that's what we should be doing even today, to go to the scriptures to ensure that what we hear, including my words today, are true. That's why in your bulletin you have the handout. It's got a lot of scriptural References there, so you can double-check me. May we all do the same and be Bereans today.
Throughout his letter, James described key characteristics of a mature Christian. In, in chapter 1, he talked about how we mature Christians have to be patient in trouble. And in chapter 2, he talked about uh, we need to practice the truth. And now in chapter 3, James gives us another characteristic of, a mature, of mature believers. They must find a way to have power over their tongues. Notice I didn't say they need to take care of their tongues. They have to find a way to do it. As you'll see, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, James pointed this out early in his letter in chapter 1 even to kind of build up the theme. He said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's a logical progression in this sentence. First it says, listen more, good advice. Speak less, also good advice. And we will have a better chance of controlling our anger and other emotions. Now I don't wish to give you the impression that uh, I believe using our tongue to speak is fundamentally a bad thing to do. Our ability to think, speak, and write are gifts from God. These are key characteristics of human beings. However, James points out that the tongue has a dual nature. Next slide, please. Our words spoken with our tongues have impact on others in one form or another, either positively or negatively. We can use our tongues to bless people, to curse them, be helpful or harmful. We can heal or hurt with our tongues. We can speak the truth and we can tell lies. There's very few things in the Bible that they say Jesus hates, but one of them was a lying tongue. So he thought it was important too. However, if we work at it, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be a force for good instead of evil in our family, our church, our workplace, our community, wherever we go and whenever we speak. We do have that ability to be a force for good. Unfortunately, our powerful little tongues, left to operate on their own and without exercising the necessary control over them, can become perverse and polluted. James spends the rest of chapter 3 describing why we must manage our mouths and how to do that. Because although it is small, it is influential. So the tongue must be controlled. Because it is satanic and infectious, says James, the tongue must be corralled. And as a salty and inconsistent tongue, it must be cleansed. One cannot talk about taming the tongue or talk about anything without words, without using words. Words are the essential material or building blocks for being able to have a thought. I don't know whether you ever thought about that. Every word has meaning. When we organize into these into strings, they create more complex meanings like in sentences. These sentences make up our ideas, which are used to make sense and describe our experiences and our worldview and record our memories and communicate with others. So words are important. We all do it. We think and communicate using words. And when spoken, spoken are formed in our mouths by our tongues. So tongue kind of gets a bad rap in that it doesn't think on its own. We'll talk about that in a little bit. What what must we look out for when we are speaking? 
Well, you may have heard this when you were younger, but this has helped me remember. It's a poem that goes like this. If your lips should keep from slips five things observe with care of whom you speak, to whom you speak, and how and when and where. How true. But let me say this another way. When talking about others, be careful. When talking to others, be careful. When talking about others to others, be careful how you say it. Now, keep up with me now. When talking to others about others, not only consider how you say it, but when you say it and where you say it. Now, I, I have gotten good advice like that for a long time. In fact, I'll be married for 49 years next month, and that's good advice. She reminds me, when you go to Panera's and you're talking with your fellow elders, be careful what you talk about because the walls have ears. Sometimes we don't think about that because we have something urgent to say. This is good advice in all situations and circumstances then. However, James adds two more dimensions. In chapter 3, he warns Christians to be careful about what we say and why we say it. I'll explain that in a little bit. In fact, what and why are more foundational than the people involved in how and when and where we say things. What and why. It is certainly a challenge to manage one's awareness of all of these factors when we are speaking. I know I, I can't do it. So uh, most of us are, cannot flawlessly control our speech all of the time. We make mistakes. Uh, in, in chapter 3, James says that flat out. We certainly can't argue with it because we've all known when we've made a mistake by saying something we wish we could stuff back in our mouth. We know that there are many other difficulties associated with thinking and communicating as well. Now, I'm 70 years old now. So in my case, sometimes I stop to think and forget to start again. Some of you obviously know what I'm talking about. We all have a need to communicate. Although some of us seem to have a greater need than others. Everyone seems to have something to say. Social scientists tell us that on average, we each have 30 conversations a day, which includes up to 30,000 words a day. Keep track. Maybe you ought to take a record around with you sometime. Check and see how you stand on it. Nobody's average. We're all above or below, but the average person does 30. That means that we spend... Get this, 20% of our lives talking. That's amazing. You add uh, other things like uh, eating and watching TV, and there it goes, your whole life. <laughs> if written down, the conversations of a typical American will fill over 60 books of 800 pages or more each every year. You didn't know you had that capacity in you, did you? That reminds me of King Solomon in uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12. Of making many books, there is no end. So it seems to be no end to talking as well. Um, reminds me of uh, 
A story about a person who was asked, do you resent it when in conversation with your friends they always seem to have the last word? And of course the person replied, no, I'm just glad when they finally get to it. <laughs> I wonder if all of this talking is necessary. An old saying that I'm sure that you've heard before goes something like this. It is better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Not surprisingly, this, the wisdom behind this humorous remark is biblical. It comes from Proverbs 17, verse 28, which says, Every fool, Even fools are thought wise if they are silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Now, I'm, in no way am I saying that we here in this room are fools. It's using the worst-case scenario. Uh, but everybody... Uh, should recognize the wisdom of minimizing what you say lest you make a mistake and look foolish like I've been known to do from time to time why can't people do this hold their tongues today's social media explosion the internet has demonstrated just how much of an urge to communicate we humans have sometimes even to relate the most extraordinary personal details about our lives to others I don't want anybody that's on Facebook to start squirming now. Not only are such words conveyed instantaneously around the neighborhood, but also our nation and around the world. They get passed around from computer to computer until you can no longer retrieve them. Even if you wanted to, they may never be erased and may reside for centuries in some cloud computer somewhere. Do we really want to have a cyberspace personal record of every thought that we have broadcast worldwide on the internet? That's a scary thought. Okay. So as it says on the slide now, why must we manage our mouths? Uh, there's three reasons that Jane focuses in on. There's probably some others, details, but uh, I, I want to highlight the primary ones that James talks about. Reason number one, my tongue directs where I go. This is in your handout in the bulletin, by the way. I finally got to a blank to fill in. And uh, James says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Just like the tiny bit in a 2,000-pound horse's mouth or the relatively small rudder that can change the course of very large ships, the tongue has a tremendous influence and control over our lives. Where are you headed in your life? Where are you going to be in 10 years? So, look at your conversations. What do you like to talk about? What do you talk about the most? We shape our words and then guess what? Our words shape us. A little bit of a word or a phrase can influence the total direction of our lives. Uh, like the rudder of a ship, your tongue is the steering wheel of your life. It is the guidance system. If you don't like the way you are headed now, just change the way you talk. Certainly people will treat you differently. Many people think if the tongue has such influence, then it is best to say nothing, not talk at all, be silent. 
But even saying just a few words can still create difficulties. I have a case in point. There was a story of the guy who joined the Trappist monastery. Uh, members of the Catholic order in this monastery take a vow of silence as part of their commitment. Very committed people. For this gentleman, for three years, he was given a probation where he was not to speak at all, but at the end of each year, he could say two words. At the end of the first year, he said, bed hard. At the end of the second year, he said, food cold. At the end of the third year, he had just about had it, so he came in and he says, I quit. <laughs> the head priest replied, that doesn't surprise me. All you've done is complain since you got here. So you see, the brevity of the words is still going to give people an impression, and you're still going to communicate something. Next slide. Uh, reason number two, my tongue can destroy what I have. James 3, 5 through 8. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great far forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. You, you get the point that James really is serious about this. He strongly feels this way. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Have you ever met a verbal arsonist? Their words are always inflammatory. Fire and words under control can give tremendous warmth and light. But fire and words out of control can be devastating. It can destroy miles and miles of homes and lands and people. Words can create a chain reaction. You can say something that you didn't mean to have any harm, but can have devastating effects that are beyond your control. For example, just a few inflammatory statements set off a chain of events, and we now look back and we call one of those events World War II. In a more personal level, how about the story of a husband who came home from work tired and grumpy and cranky? The husband walks in and yells at the wife. The wife yells at the oldest kid. The oldest kid yells at his younger sister. The younger sister goes out and kicks the dog. The dog goes over and bites the cat. The cat comes in and scratches the baby, and the baby then bites the head off of his Barbie doll. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot simpler if the husband just came home and bit off the head of the Barbie doll? <laughs> Chain reactions are referred to as a course of hell. These are things that you get out of control very easily. You you speak and a chain reaction occurs and you can't fix it. It's, it has a life of its own. So be careful. James uses another illustration in, about the zoo and how all kinds of animals have been tamed. But, the sta but he states emphatically that no man can tame the tongue. It, it does seem to be humanly impossible. Only God can do it. And it is a restless evil full of deadly poison, as James says. By the way, poison is the Greek word that means snake venom. Just a few drops, drops can kill. You can assassinate somebody with your words. 
assassinate their character. Yes, the tongue, depending on how you use it, can be a deadly weapon. Reason number three, my tongue displays who I am. James 3, 9 through 12. When the tongue, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brother and sister, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a grapefruit bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James points out the, how inconsistent we are in our speech. The highest use of our mouth is to use it to praise God. We sing praises to the Lord, then we sometimes walk out, get in the car, and on the way home we argue about where we are going to eat lunch. Isn't it amazing how quickly our attitude can change? In one minute we're saying, praise the Lord, and the next minute we're saying, shut up. The tongue is a strange contradiction. It is so inconsistent. It's amazing how quickly it changes. The tongue reveals our real character. It tells what is really inside us. This is pretty depressing. I didn't want to depress you. There are solutions, and James talks about this. Okay? What was... Uh, so what is the solution for taming the tongue? Number one, get a new heart. If you have a problem with your tongue, it's much more serious than you think. You really have a heart problem. I will give you some symptoms. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person with a boasting tongue has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. And a person who is critical all the time has a bitter heart. On the other hand, happily, a person who is always encouraging with a happy heart, a person who speaks gently has a loving heart, and a person who speaks truthfully has an honest heart. May we seek with the Lord's help and eventually obtain a spiritual heart transplant in which we receive a heart that is happy, loving, and honest. After all, we are duty-bound to uh, pursue Christ-like behavior, and that's Christ. Now, there are some Bible verses that I have on your handout that uh, support that. The second solution is ask God for help every day. We do, not, we do need supernatural power to control our tongue. We cannot do it on our own, so we must seek God's help. Uh, and it seems that we need to ask God's help daily uh, because we need his power in our lives all the time. Going to God's word is part of getting God's help. As we ask him to help, we need to read his word. But how much time on average do you spend reading and studying the Bible? You don't have to answer that. Just something to think about. I know I do. Here are some statistics you should know. The average American over the age of two, that's two years old, spends more than 34 hours a week watching live television, says a new Nielsen report, plus another three to six hours watching taped programs. That's 40 hours a week that we're absorbing this stuff. Now, in my mind, based on what I can't seem to find on 
my Comcast scroller every evening when I say, oh, I'll see if there's something on TV. I can't find much edifying. can't find much that gives me encouragement. It's mostly blood and gore, sex, drugs, rock and roll, and all those other things. Uh, this is a classic case of Geigo, which is a computer slang for garbage in, garbage out. I don't know if you have the same experience, but you would think we'd be able to find something edifying on 400 channels. What goes into the mind goes into our hearts, and what goes into our hearts comes out of our mouth. What goes into our minds goes into our hearts, and what goes into our hearts comes out of our minds. This is the process we must acknowledge and do something about. I must say, uh, I'm encouraged when I read Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, uh, where it encouraged me to fill our minds with the word of God with positive things. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And we have some other verses that are also there uh, and in your handout. And then the third part of the solution is to think before you speak. We've addressed this earlier. The concept is simple. Engage your mind before you put your mouth in gear. Stop. And uh, that also has some verses. James uh, chapter 1, verse 26 uh, probably is the most comprehensive one. And those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Okay. This is one of the things that Jesus warned us to regard in managing our mouth. This comes from Matthew 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would encourage you to read it in the interest of time. But... Uh, this is our Lord Jesus Christ who says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So fill your heart with him. Fill your heart with good things. He um, talks about at the end, uh, For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Uh, there is going to be a judgment day someday. We all come before the Lord. And yes, we will have sinned mightily. Thank God that we have Jesus who has saved us and has given us a promise that if we trust in him, if we love in him, if we obey his commandments, that uh, we will be saved and have eternal life. I would offer that out, as Brother Jerry uh, mentioned very well during the uh, uh, communion part of the service. If you do not, if you have not profess Jesus as your Savior. We want to talk to you about it. Jerry and Shirley are over there. I'll be here afterwards. There's other elders that you may know, but this is the time for you to come to the Lord and he'll erase all your sins and give you a peace that will pass all understanding. I was convicted severely and repeatedly when I studied for this presentation. Uh, the bottom line is this. If our hearts are not healthy because of what we place in our minds, if we do not seek the Lord's help on a daily basis to guard our mouths 
And if we do not stop to think before we speak and consider the consequences of, of what we feel the urge to say, our lives will be perpetually out of control and we will not be a blessing to others around us. Conversely, Here's where the hope comes in. If we make a continuing effort to fill our minds with good things, if we pray and ask the Holy Spirit to renew a steadfast spirit within us, if we can become more thoughtful about what and why we say what we say to others, we can have that peace that passes all understanding. We can be a blessing to all who come in contact with us by taming our tongues. We can show by our demeanor, our behavior, and our speech, that the Christian faith is a faith that works. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, giving us the wisdom of how to live our lives in obedience to you and how to have peace that we may live our lives to your glory. We know that we are sinners, but we know that you have saved us through your son, Jesus Christ. We have an attitude of gratitude for this and for all of the blessings that you have given us over time. Please bless us this week and for the rest of our lives with your spirit. Go before us in all things. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.